Hello, and thank you for joining us for Fairies and Dragons, Ponies and Knights, Episode 12, Mintini. If this is your first time listening to Fairies and Dragons, Ponies and Knights, you might want to start listening at Episode 1 so that you can get the full story. My name is Marin Langdon Spillane, and today we are thrilled to welcome back our special guest artist from Episode 1, Colin Bright. Please check the show notes for a link to see his final artwork. We also want to take a moment to share another great podcast from a fellow member of Kids Listen. Hi, I'm Ari, the host of At Your Level. I'd really love it if you join me. Yeah, I'm talking to you, the one listening. So, in every episode of At Your Level, we explore a different topic. What are you into? Um, I like to cook. It's just kind of calming. It makes me for- I get to forget about everything, unless my stuff is burning. I interview you. Well, probably the most embarrassing thing that has happened is I was Mayor Munchkin in Wizard of Oz, and we play games. Sounded like something like you're pouring something into a glass bowl. And go where the topic takes us. (laughs) One One second, he's got to stop laughing. You can join by sending me your recording, reaching out, or just listen to At Your Level. Bye. Now, one thing that I love about stories that you listen to is that everyone imagines the story a little bit differently. I know how it looks in my head, but I love to see how other people imagine things. So I encourage all of you listeners to grab your favorite art supplies and draw, sculpt, paint, or create anything that you're inspired to while listening. Then you can share your creation with us during one of our live shows, post on our Facebook page, or email us at PetraTheDragon at gmail.com. And now let us begin Episode 12 of Fairies and Dragons, Ponies and Knights, Mintini. Previously on Fadpack, Beatrice the Dragon set off on a quest to find the fairies and ponies, aided by two humans from the city of Durga, Tom Thomas, a stable boy, and Talora Shamsa, a knight in training. While defending her baby, Smudge, from an attacking unicorn, Beatrice is stabbed by the unicorn's horn. While Talora rushes to help Beatrice, Tom takes off after the unicorn, who Beatrice has flung into the nearby woods. While Talora and Beatrice's five children attempt to care for the gravely ill Beatrice and continue their quest, Tom's journey takes a different turn. The unicorn didn't stop. It kept charging right through the fire, as if it didn't even feel the heat. Beatrice clearly was not expecting to see the unicorn emerge from her flame, unhurt and steadily approaching. It was almost upon her, its horn aimed directly at her heart. She only had time to shift her body slightly, turning her chest away from the attack, before the unicorn slammed into her. Talora gasped as she watched the long, glowing horn completely bury itself in Beatrice's shoulder. Beatrice screamed in pain. She reared back, raised her front leg, and swiped furiously at her attacker, her clawed foot connecting with the unicorn's side. The unicorn went flying through the air like it had been launched from a catapult, sailing over the nearby bushes and landing out of sight. Beatrice crashed to the ground and was still. Beatrice! Beatrice! Talora called as she and Tom ran up the slope toward the dragon's still form. Suddenly, Tom stopped. He knew what he had to do, and he knew he didn't have a choice. 
Without pausing to explain, he left Talora and ran into the woods in the direction that Beatrice had hurled the unicorn. He could hear Talora behind him, screaming, "'Tom! Where are you going?' He didn't have time to explain. He had to find the unicorn, he knew, or Beatrice would die. Tom Thomas was the head stable boy for the stone, the great castle of Durga. His mother and father ran the stables, a vast and sprawling set of buildings that housed over 200 horses. One day, Tom had been told ever since he could remember, it would be his job to take over for his parents. His family had run the stables for as long as there had been a Durga, maybe longer. The Thomases were somewhat unique in Durga, as few members of their family throughout the generations had ever aspired toward the honor of knighthood. Instead, they were content to care for the horses. What most people didn't know, however, was that they had a secret. This secret had been kept from Tom for most of his life. Tom did know that his grandparents had been seekers, people obsessed with unicorns and pegasi who spent their lives seeking them. He knew that his grandparents had left on a journey to find these rare and magnificent creatures and had never returned, leaving Tom's father alone to manage the stables when he was a teenager like Tom. Tom's father had never recovered from this loss and forbade the mention of unicorns or pegasi in his presence. And that was all Tom knew, until one day he had received a letter from his great aunt. Tom had never met her, but he knew that she lived far away and that she was very ill. Inside the envelope was a drawing. It looked ancient. It was a simple picture of a girl sitting easily on the back of a unicorn. At the bottom of the drawing, in the barely legible flowing script Tom associated with old, old books, was a name. Arla Tomasi. With the picture was a note that said simply, I thought you should know. Look in the attic. Don't tell your father. With love, Rosemary Thomas. But Tom had noticed that her last name, Thomas, had been crossed out, and written above it was Tomasi, just like the girl in the picture. Beside its age, the picture wasn't particularly remarkable. Tom had seen countless illustrations of the legendary Tomasi, an ancient race of humans who had once lived among the fabled herds of horses, unicorns, and pegasi who, during the time of giants, had all lived together in one huge herd, as the ponies did today. Some even believed that the ponies were descendants of these ancient horses. The Tomasi were part of the herd, living with them, riding them, and caring for them for hundreds of years. No one knew if the Tomasi actually existed. But what child hadn't imagined themselves riding on the back of a unicorn, or flying on a pegasus, or running with the herd like a wild Tomasi? But none of this explained why his great-aunt signed her own name as Tomasi and crossed out Thomas. Tom had raced to the attic, and there... He had found the books, the crates of notes, drawings, and maps that not only had belonged to his grandparents, but went farther back, hundreds of years, more even. It was the history of his family. He read everything voraciously. Tom's grandparents had not simply been seekers. As Tom tore through all that was written, he was slowly able to piece together the truth. The legends were real. The Tomasi were real. And Tom Thomas, stable boy of Durga, was one of them. Tom Thomas. No. Tomasi. Tom's ancestors had been the last of the Tomasi, the great riders. Until the drift. The drift was a time of great change across all of Dunaya. 
No one knew exactly when or why or how, but everything had begun to slowly change. Rifts were formed. The weather pattern shifted, and some species disappeared, never to return. The unicorn and pegasi slowly began to dwindle from the herd, leaving the horses behind. Years would go by without a human sighting of either a unicorn or pegasus, and when they occurred, encounters were often deadly. The remaining herds of horses fractured, dwindled, and dispersed. Many of the Tomasi abandoned the wild and spread across the land to live with humans in houses, villages, and towns. Slowly, they became nothing more than legend. Tom's ancestors had stayed with one of the small remaining herds of horses and settled in the lush land that had eventually become the city of Durga, changing their name to Thomas in order to put their past behind them and maintain their secret. It was because of Tom's family that Durgan horses had always been the finest, as they were descended from the remnants of the Tomasi's herd. But though their lives had changed, Tom's ancestors had never stopped looking for the unicorns and pegasi. With each generation, for hundreds of years, they searched. It was an obsession, passed down from one generation to the next. They kept detailed notes of every encounter, maps of the migratory patterns they observed, and drawings of whatever creatures they could find. It was their dream to someday heal the rift that had occurred between the unicorns, Pegasus, and the horses, and to live among them again. Generation after generation of Tom's family had pursued this goal, that is, until Tom's father. When Tom's grandparents disappeared, Tom's father was left alone to care for his younger siblings and the stables. He vowed never to chase the unicorns again. He hid the books and the papers, and he never told any of the stories to his son. For this reason, out of respect for his father, Tom kept his new knowledge secret and never told his parents what he had discovered. But he couldn't deny his own voracious curiosity, and after years of studying the books and papers left behind by his ancestors, Tom Thomas was now perhaps the leading expert on horses, unicorns, and pegasi in all of Dunaya. Not that anyone knew it, of course. Thanks to the education he had given himself month after month in the dusty, dimly lit attic, there was one thing that he knew for sure. Nothing, not even the strongest magic, could cure a wound made from a unicorn's horn, except for the unicorn itself. And so when Beatrice had been stabbed, he had known instantly that somehow he must find that unicorn and... and... He didn't know what next. He just knew that without that unicorn, Beatrice would die. And so he had run, knowing he had only seconds to catch it before it bolted into the woods, lost forever. He had been lucky the unicorn was wounded and therefore slower, and had managed to catch up to it just as it disappeared into the brush, heading deeper into the mountains. He had stayed silent, kept his distance, as he had begun to track the unicorn. Now it was a day later, and darkness was falling again. Tom was rubbing a handful of stinging nettles against his arms. It was the only thing he could think of to keep himself awake. He hadn't slept last night, and he couldn't afford to sleep tonight either. It had been over 24 hours since Beatrice had been stabbed, and even though it was unlikely she was still alive, he couldn't give up. She was a dragon, after all, and he was certain she would last longer than the humans he had read about. He might still have time. Right now, the unicorn was about 30 yards ahead of Tom, asleep for the moment. It was the closest it had allowed Tom to get during the last 24 hours, and he felt a small surge of victory when he realized it meant that it felt safe enough to sleep in his presence. It was badly hurt. Tom could see long gashes along its side from Beatrice's talons, and one of its ankles was at least sprained, if not broken. 
When the unicorn had first sensed that Tom was following, it had taken off running, but Tom had been able to keep it in sight. It clearly hated being followed and wanted badly to charge at Tom, sometimes facing off toward him, snorting and stamping its hoofs. So far, it hadn't tried to charge, probably knowing it was too weak. Tom had doggedly pursued the unicorn, getting more and more tired but refusing to give up. Finally, it had paused to rest near the rocky mouth of a canyon. There was a small waterfall in a large, shallow pool leading to a stream that ran out into the woods where Tom was trying to stay hidden. This was Tom's chance. He had to make friends with this unicorn. But how? Humans and unicorns had had nothing to do with each other for maybe a thousand years. But he was a Tomasi, he reminded himself. Maybe he could do this. As Tom slumped against a tree, his eyes trained on the unicorn's sleeping form, he considered his options. He had noticed that it was having trouble eating, being unable to bend its head much. Perhaps it had pulled a muscle in its neck. There wasn't much grass here, so the unicorn had to lift its head to pull leaves off of bushes or low trees, and when it tried, it looked like it was straining painfully. Tom made a decision. He would bring food to the unicorn. He wandered the woods, collecting anything he thought it might like to eat. Leaves, a handful of berries, a small tuft of grass. But how would he get the food close enough without spooking the unicorn? He tried to think what he would do if this were one of his horses back in Durga. Tom was one of the best trainers at the stone, and getting a young horse ready for the saddle was his specialty. He often drew an audience while he was training because his method was so unique. Tom would pretend he was a horse, mimicking a horse's submissive or dominant behavior in his eye contact, his body language, and in his rewards and reprimands. He would do this for as long as it took until he gained the trust of the horse he was training. So maybe he should just be a unicorn. That shouldn't be too hard. Just be a unicorn. There was a large rock about halfway between himself and the unicorn. If he could drop the food there, the unicorn would have no trouble eating it off the rock, and Tom would have gotten closer than he had been yet. He took off his shirt and bundled the food inside, then studied the sleeping creature. If I were a unicorn, what would I do, he thought. Ignoring his human instinct to creep softly forward, Tom summoned up his courage and boldly stepped out from behind a tree, neighing loudly to get the unicorn's attention. Then he stomped his foot hard. The unicorn woke and turned to face him. Its ears lay back on its head. Not a good sign. If Tom wasn't careful and the unicorn charged, he might not be able to get away in time. But wait, I'm a unicorn too, he reminded himself. I'm the one who charges. He stamped his foot again and snorted. Glaring at the unicorn with all the anger and ferocity that he could muster, he took a step forward. The unicorn didn't budge. Tom neighed again. And took another step forward, stamping and snorting, shaking his own hair like it was a mane. The unicorn rose and took an aggressive step toward Tom. Uh-oh, he thought. Okay, okay, cool off, cool off. He wanted the unicorn to think he was confident, but not that he was challenging it. He took a step sideways and pretended for a moment to ignore his quarry. He could feel that it was watching him very closely. Tom opened his shirt bundle, took out some leaves, and stuck them in his mouth, chewing them extravagantly so that it would know what he was carrying. The leaves did not taste good, but Tom continued bravely. He looked at the unicorn again, neighed loudly, (laughs) shook his hair, and stamped his foot. The unicorn surprised him by repeating his actions, and then suddenly charging. Before he could stop himself, Tom screamed, but then quickly tried to turn it into a roar. Ah, uh, The unicorn stopped. 
Tom's heart was thudding so loudly he was sure the unicorn could feel his fear. A squirrel skittered across the rocks near Tom. It stopped and looked at him. You're a unicorn, he reminded himself. He looked at the squirrel, then charged at it again. Nay! The squirrel tore away, and Tom stamped and snorted as though satisfied. He sneaked a look at the unicorn. He thought he could sense its surprise, and maybe even amusement. Carefully, Tom placed the bundle of food on the ground and did his best to make his way back to the cover of the trees in as unicorn-like a fashion as he could manage. (laughs) He slipped behind a tree so that he could watch. Slowly, suspiciously, the unicorn made its way to the food and ate. Ha! It worked, thought Tom triumphantly. Tom repeated this whole routine many times throughout the night. Each time he dropped off a pile of food, he didn't retreat as far, so that as dawn approached, he was fully visible to the unicorn as it ate. But it wasn't enough. Tom needed to get closer and quickly. He was worried about Beatrice, and he was also nervous about the gashes on the unicorn's side. They looked like they were getting infected. He wanted to clean them out, but that would mean getting close enough to touch them. As the unicorn dozed, he gathered a few plants he knew for their healing properties and mashed them between some rocks with mud, creating a thick paste for a healing poultice. Okay, Tom said softly. Here goes nothing. Tom took his shirt off and again made a bundle, this time holding his poultice supplies. He had a new plan to get closer to the unicorn, close enough to touch it. He knew it was crazy, but he was too tired to come up with anything else. He looked around until he found a rock with a sharp edge. Taking a deep breath, he pushed the rock into his skin just below his collarbone until he started to bleed. Wincing, he drew the rock across his chest, creating a long, shallow scrape. Ow, 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 said Tom quietly. It wasn't deep, but it hurt like crazy, and it bled a lot. Good, though, that was what he needed. He walked to the edge of the clearing where the unicorn lay, and then he pulled out all of his theatrics. He groaned loudly in agony, startling the unicorn awake. Oh, he moaned, stumbling forward, making a great display of his pain in his bloody chest. He did his best not to look at the unicorn, acting like it wasn't there. He headed toward the pool beneath the waterfall. He was now closer to the unicorn than he had been so far, close enough for the unicorn to stab or trample him no matter how hurt it was. He kept going, moaning pitifully and making every step seem difficult and painful. The unicorn didn't charge. It seemed to be staring at him in amazement and even took a few steps back to let him pass. He came within an arm's length of it, and even though he was bleeding from his chest and covered in welts from the stinging nettle, he couldn't help but feel pretty good about things so far. He was standing closer to a unicorn than any human had in recent history, and he hadn't been stabbed or trampled. Yet, he made it to the water and clumsily waded in. Oh, sun and stars! It was cold. Cold, 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 cold! Once he was waist-deep, he faced the unicorn and made a great show of washing his chest. Once he'd cleaned off the blood, he carefully unwrapped his shirt and pulled out a bit of the paste he had made. He smeared it across the cut on his chest and dramatized the soothing feeling it gave him. Ah, so much better. Ah. Once he was finished, he looked directly at the unicorn. The unicorn looked at Tom. Tom nodded his head toward the wound on the unicorn's side. He took a step toward it, but the unicorn's ears went back and it stamped and snorted. Tom took another step. The unicorn stared at Tom, then slowly, miraculously, took a step toward him, putting its hoof in the water. Then, something strange happened. Tom felt very, very cold, 
and he couldn't move. He looked down and realized that the unicorn had turned the water, the whole pool of water, into solid ice. Tom was trapped waist-deep in a block of ice. Hey, that's not fair, he said to the unicorn. The unicorn slowly walked over the frozen surface of the pool until it was towering above Tom. He could be trampled or gored easily now, but somehow he wasn't afraid. He was in awe. This is what his family had been searching for for thousands of years. He felt a kinship with this creature, and without pausing to think, he reached his hand up. He could see now that the unicorn was male, and as he extended his hand outward, the unicorn thrust his neck out and began sniffing Tom all over, finally lowering his head to sniff the poultice on Tom's chest. The two-foot-long unicorn horn was pointing directly at Tom's face, and he examined it closely, his heart racing. It was the color of the inside of a clamshell, and not smooth, as he had assumed. Rather, the surface was uneven and somewhat rugged-looking, as if it had been roughly hewn from rock. It ended in a tip, so sharp it hurt just to look at it. Tom summoned up his courage, raised a finger, and touched the horn. As he did, a surge of energy rippled through his body, searing into his consciousness. For a moment, Tom lost track of his own breath, his own heartbeat, and could only feel the unicorn's heartbeat thudding in his chest and the pain from the unicorn's injuries pulsing through his body. He had been right. There was a flash of pain shooting through the unicorn's neck, and his ankle was certainly sprained. In addition to the physical sensations, there was a swirl of emotions and visions. There were beautiful landscapes, herds of horses, unicorns, pegasi, and other creatures that Tom didn't recognize. There was peace and happiness, but also loneliness and anger. Tom realized suddenly with wild acceleration that while he was touching the horn, he was somehow linked to the unicorn and could see and feel all that the unicorn had ever seen or felt. Gasping, he pulled his hand away. He had only touched the horn for a moment, but it felt as though he had seen a thousand years' worth of turmoil. The unicorn looked at Tom for a long moment before resting his nose against Tom's cheek. Then he turned and walked slowly to shore. The ice melted and Tom was free. He looked down at his body and saw that the welts from the stinging nettle had disappeared, as had the wound he had made across his chest. The unicorn had healed him. Tom wondered why he couldn't have done the same for himself. Tom walked out of the water, holding out his poultice bundle. Hey there, he said. Come on, let me help you now. The unicorn dipped his head and moved closer to Tom, who cupped his hands in the water, pouring handful after handful over the unicorn's sides, wiping away the dirt and blood. He tried to be gentle, but at one point he must have pushed too hard, and the unicorn snorted and shoved his body against Tom, knocking him into the cold water. Hey, spluttered Tom. I'm sorry. I'm doing my best. I gotta get it all clean. He could have sworn that the unicorn was laughing at him as he emerged, dripping from the pool to resume his cleaning. Once he had finished, Tom ran his hand softly down the unicorn's nose. Good job. I know that wasn't easy. You're very patient. Now, let me cover those up. That will make them feel better, okay? The unicorn was still as Tom applied the healing poultice to the gashes. I'm sorry. I don't know how to help you with your sore neck or your ankle right now. You should just try to rest them both. I can keep getting you food until they feel better, okay? The unicorn nudged him gently in response. Tom took a deep breath. Listen, I need to talk to you about something. The dragon that did this to you, she... 
She was just trying to protect her baby. She's actually, well, you know, she's a really nice dragon. She's on a mission to, to talk to the ponies. She wants to fix, well, she wants to find out whatever's going on that's making these creatures not get along, I guess. And that's a good thing, right? The unicorn just stared at Tom. Well, anyway, I know that, well, she's probably going to die unless you help her. Do you, do you think that you could help her? I know that's a lot to ask. If there's anything I can do for you, I will. I swear it, I will. The unicorn looked at Tom in silence. Tom felt as though he was thinking, considering things, considering Tom. Then he turned away from Tom, walked to the edge of the water, bent his head down, and touched his horn to the surface of the small pond. A silver ripple radiated outward from the unicorn's horn. He raised his head and looked at Tom, who looked down into the surface of the pool. He gasped. Instead of his own reflection, he saw Talora, laying on her back beside a curled-up smudge, her eyes wide open and looking up at the sky. "'Talora!' yelled Tom. But of course she couldn't hear him. This was some kind of vision. How was he seeing this? He wrenched his gaze from Talora and Smudge and saw Petra and Azrael sleeping nearby. They were near a river, the Crystal River, it must be. And then he saw Beatrice, lying on something that looked like a kind of sled. This, this wasn't the camp I left them at, he thought out loud. They must be further down river, but how? Beatrice has to be unconscious. How did they get her? Then it dawned on him. It isn't a sled. It's a raft. Oh no, they're down river. If they traveled by river, that means they've been moving quickly. They're days ahead of us now. How can I, how can we get to them in time? He looked up at the unicorn who stared blankly back at him. Then the weight of it all came crashing down on Tom. No, no, this can't be. I, I found you and we're friends now. I was supposed to help her. I was supposed to save her, but there's no way we can get to them now. No, 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 it's all my fault. Tears welled up in Tom's eyes and fell as he blinked. What am I even doing here? I'm just, I'm just a dunderheaded stable boy, aren't I? I'm not a knight. I'm not even a knight in training. I just thought maybe, maybe they could use someone like me. And then I made it through the contest. I made it. And she chose me. Me. She chose me to help them. And what do I do? I get her killed over a little kitten. Ah! It's not fair. It's not fair, my teeny. It's just not fair. Hey parents. Yeah, you. Are you looking for a podcast your kids will really love? Well, we made one just for you. And for us. As genuine, all-natural kids ourselves, we know what makes a fun and interesting podcast. So we decided to make it ourselves. Every show is packed with interviews, stories, and on-the-ground reporting. We have interviewed everyone from scientists to Grammy Award-winning musicians to NFL quarterbacks. Listen to Wild Interest wherever you get your podcasts. Tom crouched by the pool, his head in his hands, and sobbed. The unicorn watched him silently. After a moment, he pressed his nose against Tom's shoulder. Tom raised his arm, curling it around the top of the unicorn's head. I don't know why I just called you Mintini. It just came out. It, it seemed like your name. Is it your name? The unicorn pulled away from Tom and started to paw the ground in agitation. Oh, I'm sorry, Tom said. If you don't like it, I can call you something else. As Tom studied the unicorn, trying to figure out why that name had sprung to mind, and if it was somehow actually the creature's name, he noticed that the unicorn's horn had begun to glow. It was getting brighter, 
and brighter as he watched, to the point that he had to squint against its light. The glow spread to the unicorn's whole body, and then the forest and canyon around them was illuminated in a pulsing white light. Suddenly there was a flash of even brighter light, and then everything was dark again. Well, not completely dark. It took a while for Tom's eyes to readjust, but as he blinked furiously, he began to see tiny pinpricks of light around him, and as he watched, these pinpricks grew more numerous and intensely bright, until there was light everywhere, fluorescent light in hundreds of different colors. It was as if all of the plants, insects, and rocks were glowing vibrantly lit from within. In his peripheral vision, he thought he detected small, flying shapes around him, but when he turned to identify them, they were gone. Tom gasped as he realized that he was seeing, for the first time in his life, the fairies. Hello again. If you'd like to know what happens next, please tune in for episode 13, Fairies, with special guest artist Daniel Partira. Now, we have a very exciting announcement. We will be performing episodes 14 and 15, our final two episodes for season one, live on September 4th at 12.45 p.m. Northfield, Vermont has a big old multi-day-long celebration for Labor Day, and we are so excited to be part of the lineup for this year's entertainment. If you're local, we'd love to see you there. If not, we will still be performing our final two episodes live on Zoom on September 5th, and we'll release the podcast versions as usual afterwards. We hope to see you in person or on Zoom for our last show of the season. If you're enjoying Fad Pack, there are a few simple and fun ways to support the show. You can leave us a rating or write a review on Apple Podcasts or the website, podchaser.com. This is a great way to help others find the show, and it really means a lot to us. You can also shop from our online store at dirtroadtheater.com slash shop. Our store has stickers, t-shirts, hats, mugs, even a fad pack fanny pack and a fad pack backpack, all featuring work from our special guest artists. Or you can buy a ticket to one of our live Zoom shows where you'll be the first to hear the new episodes and you can share your drawings or thoughts about the show and chat with other listeners. For tickets to the live show, please visit dirtroadtheater.com slash fad pack. And now we'd like to share some moments from our live show. Hi, everybody. So, Colin, hi. Thank you for joining us again. Um, Now, do you have a favorite Bad Pack character? Smudge, hands down. Smudge. Smudge does seem to win win this. Um, Chaotic spirit of adventure. Yes, it's so true. We'll have to get you an, an episode where you can illustrate Smudge someday. So what? why did you choose the image that you chose, Colin? In thinking about art history, which I've studied a lot, there are so many you know, really famous images burned into my mind of that pond in a little magical clearing in the woods. Mm. Uh, we see it over and over again throughout mythology. Uh, so instantly when I started reading through the episode, that was where my mind went. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah, yeah, you're right. That makes so much sense. Yeah, those really poles cool. are always a place of magic. Yeah. Um, I'm seeing a lot of folks wanting to share their art. Poppy, would you like to show us what you've got going on there? This or is my favorite one. This is yeah. my favorite one. Puppies and paw prints. Very fun. I don't know how many puppies in Fad Pack yet. We should try and change that. Ryan? I made this picture. It's kind of Fad Pack related, kind of not like... 
if you can see the feet on the back are clawed so that's a bit different but it's basically yeah. the unicorn in the oh that's so cool i like drawing fantasy characters and creatures i think is just so amazing because there's no right way to do it and there's no limitations on what you what you draw it's totally your own thing mia did you have something you wanted to share wow good dad you want to tell us about it these are two ponies oh i love their colors and this is the dragon's mom beatrice with the ponies yeah mia that's really fun i like how they have such dark clear outlines and then you filled them in with color that's really fun to look at Fiona did her first one. And what is it a picture of? Two ponies. Two ponies. Two ponies. Those are wonderful ponies, Fiona. We love them. Oliver and Graceland, you want to share some artwork? It's a dragon. See those, that X on its eye? Yeah. It's not dead. It's just pretending to be dead. Okay. Got it. Just faking? Yeah. Is that any specific dragon or just a dragon? Just a dragon. Okay. And this is a picture of an angry fairy. Oh, I don't know about you, but I would not want to meet an angry fairy. And it's in a war machine. A, a what machine? A war machine. A war machine. Wow. That explains why it's angry. <laughs> this is my first one. It's just a creature. Wow. Got two sets of eyes. Did you do that with marker? It looks so vibrant. Mm-hmm. I did yep. it with humor and glitter markers. I just I just renamed it. It's a wuffer spike. A wuffer spike. That's a good name. Lily Willow. It's Petra. Oh, Petra. Hi, Sydney. Hi. Do you want to say anything about yeah. your? I made this for me. How would you explain uh-huh. that? I thought it could be a. I don't really know what it is. And also, and we did this one at the same time. The knights scene where Tom was getting to know the unicorn. Oh, that's so cool. That's beautiful. And there's a little pet inside there, right? Yeah. Yeah. I thought we could draw a body pet. Yeah. (laughs) Just to know it was ours. Was anyone surprised to find out about Tom and his history and that he was chasing the unicorn? You surprised? Yeah. Were you? Very surprised. (laughs) I was surprised too. I know we went a long time without seeing Tom. I was missing Tom, and now I'm actually missing the other characters, and I'm excited to get back to them. That's a great question. Who named Mintini? Um, I'm going to let Graceland answer that question. I named Mintini because Dad was asking me, like, what should we name the unicorn? And I was just, I just stood there, and Mintini popped in my head, and I said, Mintini, we should name it Mintini. And I made the skirt for this stuff there. And that's it for episode 12. If you have any questions, comments, or artwork that you'd like to share with us, please email PetraTheDragon at gmail.com. Petra handles all of our communication, and she promises not to catch anything on fire. Fairies and Dragons, Ponies and Knights is a proud member of Kids Listen, a grassroots organization of advocates for high-quality audio content for kids. You can find more great podcasts at kidslisten.org or download the app. If you'd like a full transcript of any of our episodes to read along or to read on your own, you can find a link at the bottom of the show notes. Fairies and Dragons, Ponies and Knights is made and recorded by Dirt Road Theatre in Northfield, Vermont. Our guest artist for episode 12 was Colin Bright. Check our show notes for a link to Colin's Instagram page. Fadpack was written and created by Dominic Graceland and Oliver Spillane and edited and performed by myself, Marin Langdon Spillane. 
The music you heard was composed by the amazing Nathan Lee. You can see more of his work at nathanlee.net. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you can join us next time.